0: is called The Novel Um, and actually I'm going to read from some short stories some news stories which are coming out next year in a book called um, This Isn't the Sort of Thing That Happens to Someone Like You This one's called We Were Just Driving Around We Were Just Driving Around It was late in the evening but it was still light We'd been out for hours and it was one of those nights when it seemed like basically it was never going to get dark. We hadn't seen anyone around, and a couple of times when we'd stopped and got out, it had been totally quiet, like normal, but with the music turned up loud in the car, and it made things seem sort of hectic or like picturesque, with how far you could see across the fields and the speed and the light and the music. Like when you're walking around with headphones on, it makes everything seem like a film. Like that. Anyway, Josh was talking about setting up a business selling handmade snacks. He said he wasn't going to go to university. He was going to make his fortune straight out of school. His big idea was that you could get these like gourmet snacks made to order right there in the shop. It'd be like the deli counter of the Munchie World. He was saying. He was laughing about it, but he was totally serious. He was laughing because he thought it was so brilliant. Any flavour you want, he was saying. Any snack you want, I'll be a millionaire. He sounded like someone off the Apprentice. He was listing all the snacks he could think of: crisps and pretzels and bombay mix and popcorn and what they were made of. And he was talking about how the economics of it were brilliant. Pennies into pounds, my friends. He kept shouting that. Pennies into pounds. He was shouting because the music was so loud, but also because he was so excited about it. I didn't really get it. Anyway, Tom wanted to know if this shop was going to be located around here, and if so, then where did Josh think his customer base was going to come from? Mm -hmm. Didn't look like Josh had thought about that. He waved his hand around a bit, meaning like, around here somewhere? I don't know yet, he said. There's people around though. There's like a widely distributed customer base, yeah. He pointed to a farmhouse over on the right somewhere, three or four fields away, and then another one a bit further off, the other side of the river. The lights in the windows were just coming on, so it must have been a bit darker by then than it seemed. There you go, he said. There's two of them right there. Tom said, "What?" He can do it like mobile, like a mobile crisp band. Josh leaned over and punched him in the shoulder, and it was sort of a play punch, but he sort of meant it as well. No one said for anything for a minute. It was just the music and the sound of the tyres on the road. I wasn't even sure where we were. I could see the red lights of some television mast or something and the sky all shadowy blue behind it. We went over a little bridge and it felt like the tyres left the road for a second. I don't think Josh even knew where we were going. Josh said, Don't take the piss, mate. This is serious. This is totally serious. This is going to work, yeah? It's like a totally unfulfilled market niche. I'll be filling in that niche big time. I was laughing for a bit about Josh filling in an unfulfilled niche. Tom wouldn't let it go, though. He was given all the economic model and the population density and the vulnerability of depending on impulse purchases. And Josh was all nodding. But then he goes, Tom, mate, you don't get it. You don't get it. I'm talking about handmade gourmet snack products made to order, like locally sourced. They'll come pouring in from every direction. They'll be queuing up outside. And he cut the music, and he put on this solemn face, and a deep voice like from a film trailer, and he goes, if you fry it, they will come. <laughs> that set us off laughing again. The state we were in, it didn't take much. Plus, Josh had this very high-pitched laugh that was pretty infectious. And once he got us all going, it was just about impossible to stop. It just kept sort of growing, getting louder and louder, like something sort of swelling up until it filled the car, and we couldn't hardly breathe. And the noise of it was making me dizzy. And then Amanda said, Josh, could you slow down a bit? And he turned around to ask what she'd said. So that must have been how come he never saw the corner? next one's called um, Fleeing Complexity. Um, and when I was choosing these stories to read, I was thinking a lot about what we've been talking about influence and um, borrowing and, and that kind of stuff. So um, you might be interested to know that the title for the story comes from an interview that Tim Adams did with Richard Ford, um, in which Richard Ford said something about Hemingway. So and that was in Granter magazine about three years ago. So you can Google that. So uh, anyway, it's called Fleeing Complexity. The fire spread quicker than the little bastard was expecting. This next story is called Thoughtful. <laughs> 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 um, and it's set in, in New York. All these stories are set in particular locations in Lincolnshire and across the Fens. So this one's set in Newark. In a beer, garden, in fact. She threw her pint glass across the garden <coughs> Sorry. She threw her pint glass across the garden and told him to just shut up. She threw the ashtray as well. Bloody just shut up, she told him. He looked at her. He didn't say anything. He moved his glass closer to his side of the table. She stood up and went to fetch the pint glass and the ashtray, tucking them both under her arm while she plucked the cigarette ends from the damp grass and collected them in the palm of her hand. She was thoughtful like that. And this next one I want to read because um, it kind of ties in with, with influence. And um, uh, when Lenore was talking in her reading on Tuesday about um, reading encyclopedias and textbooks as a child, and I have a, a friend, a poet friend called Matthew Walton, who um, has talked about reading dictionaries a lot as a child. And this story is kind of a uh, it's kind of dedicated to him, very much not about him, but um, it hmm. kind of reflects his his poetry, which has been quite influential on me. Maybe I shouldn't have told you that. um, It's called Looking Up Vagina, and it's set in the village of Walton. It's not about the guy I just mentioned. Um, He was the first boy in his class to get pubic hair. He vaguely assumed that this might be something the other boys would be envious of, perhaps even awestruck by, something which would make them see him in a new light. But it turned out to be just one more thing they could use in the campaign of vilification against him. (laughs) Vilification was a word he'd come across recently. It was a word he'd found easy to understand. Virile was another word. It was something to do with sex. He knew pubic hairs were the first step on the way to getting sex, so he thought this might mean he was virile, and the other boys would be impressed, or maybe even intimidated, or at the very least would reconsider their apparently venal opinions of him. (laughs) He'd had the pubic hairs for over a year now. He was used to them and had almost forgotten that they might be an issue. The subject had never come up. But this was the last year of primary school and they were starting weekly swimming lessons and at the swimming pool there was a communal changing room. One of the boys saw and pointed it out to the other boys and soon enough all of them were looking and asking him questions about it. There was a moment then when it seemed to hang in the balance. It reminded him of the moment in the cartoon when a bus teaches on the edge of a cliff and everything depends on whether the passengers rush to the front or the back. It would only have taken one boy to say something like, cool, or oh, nice one, Smithy. And everything would have been different. There would have been some quiet veneration, maybe. And then everyone would have put on their trunks and got into the pool. Word would gradually have spread around the school, and he would no longer have been vulnerable to being tripped in the corridors. People would have talked to him on the bus or between lessons. But then someone pushed the balance the other way. Robin was in the vanguard, as always. He shouted something, pointing at the pubic hairs and turning to the other boys for support. They all joined in, and the shouting continued for the rest of the day, and for some days after that. Weeks, really. Bush was the word that got shouted. Bush and its many variations, with everyone buying to think of a new version. Bush. Bushy. monkey, bush Bushman. Bushy Bushman. Busharama. bush Bushface. Bush muppet, bush delicious, bush Bum, bush bunny, busher, bush air, Rare, bushiba, President Bush, Robert Bush, Mr <laughs> bush, bushwhacker of Bushingdon, bushy monster, bush Billy, bush Willie, bush knocker, bushy Sam, bushy old man, bushy lack long long, bushy bushy bush bush. <laughs> it wasn't even as if his pubic hair was unusually verdant. <laughs> <laughs> Someone told the girls, and so then all the girls knew that he was the first boy in the class to get pubic hair. One of them came up at lunchtime and asked him if it was true. She looked like she might be about to be impressed, but her friends were laughing, so he said it wasn't. He said he vigorously disputed it. (laughs) Robin and another boy heard this and pulled his trousers down, verifying him publicly to be a liar. And there was a certain amount of vicarious laughter from just about everyone in the vicinity. He stayed home from school for a few days after that. Mostly, he lay in bed, looking up vagina and vulva in the dictionary. Uh. He understood, even then, that in a few years' time, these same boys would get, or claim to be getting, sex, and that he would be mocked and called a virgin. Virginal. Someone would realise that virginal sounded like vaginal, and he would be called a vagina, a vagina head. He could visualise it precisely. There was no logic to it. It was vindictive. There was no way he could win there wasn't really any hope of winning, it made him feel vexated, But he also understood that one day he would leave. Eventually he would leave and when he was gone they would still be here. He would move to a big city and go to university or something and be friends with people who didn't feel the need to mock and belittle him. People who were interested in reading and philosophy and art and those sorts of things. And they would all still be here with their limited vocabularies, working in the chicken processing factories and vegetable packing houses, looking for someone else to victimise. Victorious would be a word he could use there, vindicated. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've just got two more. Um, So while I was putting this book together, it was quite interesting. there's lots of poets here, and it was quite an interesting experience putting the book of stories together and thinking in the way I assume poets do in their collections about the rhythm of the book and how the thing flows and the variations in tempo. Um, and one of the things that binds the, 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 all these stories together um, is this kind of background of an impending apocalypse, which kind of becomes more clear as, as the, the, the book goes on. Um, And so I'm just going to be two more. One one which kind of serves as a counterpoint to that impending apocalypse, and um, one of the last ones. So this one's called Song, and um, I'm not going to sing it, but it it borrows from a popular song, which you might gather. It's set in Grimsby. Chinese restaurants, laundrettes, baked potato vans, these are a few of my favorite extractor fans. And then the last one, I remember there was a hill. There There was a hill, and on the hill there was a road. The road was narrow and straight, and it went straight up the side of the hill. The road was broken with ruts and holes and streaks of mud where tractors or track vehicles must have turned in and out of the fields on either side. The road was lined with poplar trees and hawthorn hedges, And then, as the road flattened out, the hedges gave way to stone walls and brick walls and the low fences of front gardens, the front gardens of the houses that made up the village that sat like a fortress at the top of the hill. And in that village, there was no green, nor park, nor pub, nor church, nor school, nor shop, only the two dozen houses set back from the road. None of the houses looking out towards the sea, but all turned inwards facing the road. The doors all closed, and the windows all closed, and the curtains all closed. And no one tending their roses, or mowing their lawns, or mending their roofs, or painting their window frames. And no one chasing a ball, or walking a dog, or passing the time of day, or taking a bike from a shed, or hanging out laundry, or washing a car, or getting into a car and driving out onto the road to make their way down the hill. No barking dogs. No hum of distant lawnmower, nor rumble of tractor. No sudden cracking sounds of guns, no music or drums, no marching feet, no posters taped to telegraph poles which told of flower shows or village fetes or meetings of the neighbourhood watch. No parish notice board, no markings on the road, no signs noting entry to the village and asking visitors to drive with care. No signs displaying the village name, nor the year the prize for best kept village was won, nor the name of the village's foreign sounding twin. There was a phone box beside the road and a phone which had just started to ring. The phone box was beside a dry stone wall. There were sheep on the other side of the wall. The sheep were in a narrow field which fell steeply down the hill. And the grass was still wet with the nights. And the ground was pitted with rabbit holes. And at the end of the field, there was a row of poplar trees and a pile of dead wood. And around the dead wood, there were nettles growing. And beyond the trees and the dead wood, there was a view of the land running away to the sea. There were no other hills. There was no other high ground. There were trees. There were towers such as church towers or water towers or town hall towers, and on all these towers there were windows or ledges or rooftops or viewing platforms of one sort or another. There were no rabbits in the field. The sheep were huddled up against the wall. The sheep were terribly thin. The phone rang. It was clear that these trees would grow tall in the gardens of these houses and beside the road and in the hollows and boundary lines of the land between the hill and the river and the sea, that they would rock from within and grow heavy-limbed and in some strong wind come crashing down into these houses and across this road and into the ditches down below and new trees would grow up in their place, that the grass of these lawns would grow prairie tall and thorn briars would reach up and twine around the houses and break through crumbling window frames and pull the brick walls down, that these sheep would die like all the others, and the uncut crops rot in the fields, and the dead chaff be blown into the ditches and clogged the ditches, and the floods sit heavy on the land for seasons at a time, and the roads crumble, and the way be passable only by tracked vehicles, or airborne vehicles, or these wary few who would come through on foot. The phone box door was heavy, but the hinges didn't creak. The windows of the houses set back from the road were still curtained and dark, and the curtains didn't move. The ringing of the phone echoed loudly inside the box, and the ringing would not stop. The door was opened. The phone lifted. First, there was a low, humming silence. Then, the wet click of a mouth being opened to speak. Then, there was a voice which spoke. Two planes came low across the sky in silence towards the sea, and the sound which followed was like the sound of improvised explosive devices in a culvert very close by. The sheep scattered blindly across the field, towards the dead wood, beneath the poplar trees. The heavy door of the phone box banged shut, and the sounds all faded away.